It's good to see everybody up this morning. Hopefully you're making plans to be here next Sunday for our Friends and Family Day. I know uh, we changed the things around a little bit, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to have a larger crowd in the afternoon service. Uh, and so we would like to just encourage you to come, and hopefully you've, you're thinking of your friends, and I'll try to have a sermon that uh, uh, help, uh, help them to, to be better people and maybe uh, spark some interest to where they'll want to... Uh, learn more about us and about the church. And so that's really our goal is to share the gospel with others. There was a true story in Reader's Digest many years ago, and I think many of us men may be able to relate to this because it's a true story about a man who had gone to a hardware store for supplies that he needed for a minor plumbing job at his home. And as he was leaving, the owner of the store said, See you in a little while. And the customer said, What do you mean? Did I forget something? He said, No, you haven't forgotten anything. But usually a do-it-yourselfer, usually when they start to do a plumbing job, they have to make two or three trips back to the hardware store before they're done because they end up damaging another part that they're going to need. Well, he said... I plan to be the exception to that. And when he did return to the hardware store to get a, repar- a part for a, a, a replacement part for something that he had damaged, the owner looked at him and held up two fingers and said, "That's two." He said, "Well, the customer later said they didn't see me a third time. Just like I said, when the predicted third trip became necessary." I went to a different hardware store. That's something that pride will cause us to do. And sometimes it rears up in little places in our lives where sometimes we may not even recognize it or acknowledge it, but pride is something that shows is a weakness that we can be involved with. It causes us to do things or not do things that really we should do or not do. And pride can lead to many different sins. That we can see many mentioned in the Bible, those that many times got caught up with it. And I think that we'll see that today where some individuals were caught up in pride. But we can look in the Bible and it tells us in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly, it is wisdom. When we aren't lifted up with pride, it's easier for us to take instruction. It's easier for us to do what we know we should. But sometimes we have the attitude, nobody, nobody is going to tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I want. No one's going to tell me what I need to do. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, it tells us pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Many times that pride will lead us to major problems in our lives when we could have given in and humbled ourselves and listened to instruction and did what we know what was best instead of trying to do it our own way, which turned out to be a failure. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, "...but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble." You see, the grace of God is for all men. It's for everybody. It's appeared to all men, the Bible tells us. But why is it that some do not receive it? Is it that God holds it back? 
It's because of their pride. They don't want to listen. They don't want to open the pages of God's Word. They don't want to listen to someone tell them what the Bible says that they need to do in their lives. And so they're not going to have that grace. They're not going to have that forgiveness because they're going to do what they want to do. And unfortunately, there's many people in the religious world, some of us as Christians, sometimes we get lifted up with pride and we look at the Bible and we see what it says and I say, well, you know, I just don't want to do that. And I think God's going to overlook it. God's going to be okay with it. He's just going to accept me as I am. I just believe that. Well, you can just believe that, but if the Bible says something contrary to what you just want to believe, then you better change. Because you're not going to receive that good grace that God is extending to all people. In our text today, we're introduced to a proud man. Now, he, was, he didn't seem very proud when you first read about him. But as we look into the story, we can see that he was lifted up with pride. And it doesn't just jump right out at us. It doesn't say Naaman was a man full of pride. But let's look at his reaction as we go through this lesson this morning. And we're introduced to him, and we see that he's a very successful individual. He's important. He has some great skills that he can that he can take advantage of and use to make the king look good. And so he's a powerful individual. And Naaman is a great success story. He's a leader of men. He's capable. He's respected, and he's well liked. But then there's that but. We hear that today sometimes. A husband and wife are talking about telling somebody about, oh, I have a wonderful husband. Oh, I have a wonderful wife. They do this, they do that, they do this and this and this and this. They're just so wonderful, but they got a problem. But there's something wrong. And that's the case with Naaman. Naaman was a leper. And that was a disease that no one wanted. A leper was unclean. A leper was, uh, had a disease that just eats your body away. Parts would be eaten off. And so it was something that wasn't pleasant. It was an awful disease. No one wanted it. And as the children of Israel, it, you were an outcast. You couldn't be around anyone that was clean. And so Naaman had a problem. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So we learn from that passage of Scripture that there's a reason why God is telling us this story. And perhaps you're thinking, well, I know all about this story, so I can just sit back and relax and just take it easy. I don't need to really listen that close. I hope that doesn't happen this morning. Because we're going to look at the entire story. And I think that there's something for every single one of us, Christian or non-Christian. You see, we can learn from that passage of Scripture that there is a reason why God is telling us that story. And there's something about the healing of Naaman's leprosy that God wants us to see. He wants us to take knowledge of it. And scholars I know, as I mentioned, tell us as they use the Scripture that Leprosy is kind of a symbol for sin. That it kind of eats you from the inside out. That we involve ourselves with sin, and sometimes it doesn't seem so bad, 
But then when we're done with it, we realize that there's guilt, there's shame, there's all kinds of regret that we have in our lives many times because we know we shouldn't have done what we did. Or we should have done what we failed to do. And so it causes all kinds of problems. And as I've said many times when I'm done with sin, it's not done with me. And so many times people are miserable, they're unhappy. They walk around depressed, they walk around in grief because of the sin in their life. And that's kind of what leprosy represents. You can't ignore it. It was something that was very obvious. And Naaman realized that that leprosy was going to eat him to the point where he was going to die eventually from that disease. Just like sin, people couldn't hide the results of their disease. It devastated their lives and it destroyed them from the inside out. And it separated them from God and other people. And they would be they would be outcast. That's what sin can do to us, and that's what leprosy was doing to Naaman. But God healed Naaman of his leprosy, and the story of how God healed Naaman is a powerful lesson in how God uses us to bring healing to those that are lost in this sin sick world to the people that we may know, the people that we may love that are caught up in sin. I believe that this story helps us to see what we can do to help those that are in that condition. Now think about this. Naaman is faced with a tragic knowledge that his life is ruined. Oh, he's a powerful man. He's respected. But what's that leprosy eventually going to do to Naaman? The first person that gave Naaman any hope was a little maid, a slave girl who'd been carried away captive. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she wasn't important. She wasn't influential. She wasn't a great theologian. She was just a slave. Just a little maid. Just somebody that was there. And yet, it was her advice that started Naaman looking for God. In 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 3, beginning it says, And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And verse 4 goes on to say, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. This young girl couldn't do much. But she did what she could do. And what she did was to give Naaman hope. I'm reminded of a story of a salesman who was depressed because he was having a hard time getting people to buy his product. And so he went to an individual that he respected in the sales field and he said to his friend, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. His friend smiled and said, Son, 
Your job isn't to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. <clears throat> and that's what this little girl did. She made Naaman thirsty for God. And I ask you as individuals, what do you do in your life when you talk about Jesus and you talk about the church and you talk about what Christianity is all about, what do you do to make people thirsty? You see, we can go out there or we can go home and we can talk to people that aren't members of the church who aren't Christians and we can tell them all the awful things that happened at church today. Brother so-and-so sang some slow songs. He sang some songs I don't like. The preacher was so long-winded. Don't amen that, Russ. I fell asleep. Or brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, you should have seen how they looked at me. Or what they did. You can go home and you can talk about all the bad things that you see in church. Or you can go home and you can tell all the good things that you see in church. You can go home and you can tell people about Jesus Christ and what He means and what it means to be a disciple of His. You can go home and you can tell people about the church and why it's, you enjoy being a part of that congregation or those people. What did this little maid do? Something very simple. She gave Naaman hope. I don't know if you've noticed in our society, but it just seems like there's a lot of people out there that just seem hopeless. Why is it their morals are going down? Why is it that they're opening the door to all these crazy things that they're, they're offering people? You can do this or you can do that. You can change this then. You can change that. Why are they offering all? Because people are searching for something. And they don't know what they're searching for. But all you can do is make people, your friends, your family, your neighbors, all you can do is make them thirsty for Jesus. And you know what? That doesn't take a lot of great Bible knowledge. How much Bible knowledge do you need to go out and say, you know those people over there at Ridge Road? They're a wonderful bunch of people. They love each other. They care about each other, and they would care about you. You have a book, chapter, and verse for that? I don't have a book, chapter, and verse, but I believe that that's what's taught in the Bible. But I can do that without having to have a scripture. It's the simple things that we can do sometimes that make a big difference. You see, all you need to know is three things. You have to know that your friend has a problem. And when I say a problem, I'm not necessarily mean that, you know, a financial problem or something of that nature or a, a, a relationship problem in the home. Knowing that, I think, could help in this area. Because you can show them that when they look at a hopeless situation, there is hope. But you need to be knowledgeable of the problems that they have in their life. And sin is certainly a problem in their life. Now, sometimes they don't want to have to hear about sin. That's become a bad word in our society. But sometimes you just need to know they have a problem. And you have to believe 
that Jesus can fix that problem and give them hope. Now listen to that second point. You have to believe yourself that Jesus can help with that problem. If I don't believe that Jesus can help me, I certainly can't go out and tell somebody else that, oh, Jesus can help you. I have to believe it. And I would hope that all of us have seen points in our own lives where the Lord has helped us. So it shouldn't be too hard to believe. And then you have to speak up and tell your friend about Jesus. That takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Nowadays it just seems to get harder and harder to do, but we need to do it. And that's it. That's all it takes to make people thirsty for God. And if you're willing to do that, you can change someone's life for all of eternity. I think Ben had a good invitation Wednesday night if you heard it. What we need to realize is the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. I can go out here and beat people over the head and say, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. But it's the Gospel that changes. The Gospel works from the inside out. And we need to share that Gospel with people. And so Naaman goes looking for God. And that's when he visits Elisha. Now bear in mind that Naaman is an important man. And he comes into Elisha's uh, courtyard, flanked with his military horses and, and guard, and, and they're on their chariots. And I, I don't know how big the procession was, but there was more than just Naaman there. And Naaman knows that Elisha knows that he's coming. And we know that also because we've read the story. And Naaman is a wealthy and mighty leader of men. And when he comes to Naaman, he brings gifts, expensive gifts, gold and silver and ten changes of raiment. Naaman expects Elisha to be impressed. He expects Elisha to honor, to be honored to receive him. He expects Elisha to render unto him, under him the respect that he deserves. But that doesn't happen. Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He sends a messenger. It says, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. That's it. See you, see you, Naaman. He didn't even say goodbye. That was it. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, Naaman wasn't happy about that. He was angry. How dare this measly prophet treat him this way? Who does he think he is? And the Bible says, Behold, this is what Naaman said, Behold, I thought 
that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not the Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was angry over the simplicity of what he was supposed to do. He was angry about how Elisha had ignored him. He had his own in his own mind what he thought was going to happen. And it didn't happen the way he thought it would. And so he's angry. He's mad. But I want you to notice what happens next. And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee some great thing, do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. Now I want you to think about this servant for a moment. They were pagans. They worshipped false gods. They know very little about the God of Israel if they know anything. And yet God used this servant, this pagan servant, to speak to Naaman. Now here's my point. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, there are people out there who need to hear us talk about Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that that passage is meaning that you have to be a preacher like me standing up here in front of people, but you can go out in your everyday life and you can preach Christ. You can make people thirsty for Christ. You can tell people about Christ. Because they won't hear about Christ unless you tell them. There was a survey done not too long ago that said 43% of millennials stated that they either don't know, don't care, or don't believe that God exists. That's sad. It almost sounds in, intimidating when you think about it until you think about, think about it from all the different angles. You see, there's always going to be people who would disagree with us on God. Just like the millennials, where some don't know exist, don't believe that exists, or don't care. They reject Jesus, they ignore God, and they don't want Scripture to have any influence in their lives. And that kind of uh, opposition is going to happen. There's always going to be people like that. There were people like that in, in Jesus' day. There were people like that in Peter's day. There were people like that in Paul's day. There's always going to be people who do not want to accept what God's Word says. And we need to be committed to do the best job that we can of explaining God to them and never shut up, never quit. Because their eternal destination is in the balance. 
I believe that part of the problem in our world today, our society, is because we have shut up. We've stopped talking about God. We've stopped talking about the good things that He does for us. We've stopped telling people about the wrath that's going to come. We don't do that like we should. And we need to be convinced ourselves that we're right about what the Bible teaches. And then refuse to be quiet. But just like this little slave girl, we need to realize that sometimes all we can do is say what we can and then trust God to do the rest. You see, but God can do that because He's not limited by our abilities or our wisdom. And do you realize that when it came to naming obeying God and being dipped or cleansed in the Jordan River, it wasn't a slave girl that convinced him. It wasn't Elisha that convinced him. It was his pagan friend. Have you ever had that happen? I've seen it happen. Where people talk about Christ and someone else rejects what they're saying and then their life's still messed up and someone who's not even related to the situation has seen what you're saying and then they'll say to that individual, you need to listen. Have you ever seen that happen? I've seen it happen. People that you wouldn't expect to, to, to encourage them to be to do what you're telling them to do, but they did. You see, that slave girl and Elisha did their part, but it was God working through their pagan friend or through the pagan friends. That made the difference. We need to trust God to take our message, to take our meager efforts, and allow those words from God to change. You see, it is the gospel that has the power to change. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That gospel is the power of God and the salvation. So brethren, we need to do our part and then trust God to do His part. There's one more thing I want us to think about. Naaman came to Elisha to be healed of his leprosy. But it wasn't Elisha that healed Naaman. It was God. Have you ever looked at the meaning of the name Elisha in the Hebrew language? It means, God is my salvation. In other words, salvation comes from God. And everything that Elisha did, I kind of think, points to that truth. Everything, including how he treated Naaman. Think about that for a moment. Do you realize that there are people who wouldn't have handled Naaman like Elisha handled Naaman? There are people who would have been more seeker-friendly. We need to go out and you need to talk to Elisha or to Naaman. You need to see how 
Leprosy has affected him. You need to deal with his sensitivities. But instead, Elisha refuses to cater to Naaman's pride and ends up making him mad. Elisha's reaction or actions literally drove Naaman away. And Naaman could have died in his leprosy and faced eternal damnation. Now, why would Elisha do that? Why offend Naaman? He did it because it wasn't his message. It was God's message. What is God's message? God's message has always been and always will be is that when we sin, we need to repent. John the Baptist, when he was preaching the message from God, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, uh, from this time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when God started the church on the day of Pentecost, what did Peter preach? Peter preached, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Over and over and over again, it's the same message. You've sinned, you need to repent. Whether it's pride, whether it's lust, whether it's selfishness, whether it's greed, whatever it is, if you've sinned, you're going to hell if you do not repent. You cannot come to God on your terms. You have to come on His terms. Now, do you see how Naaman was lifted up with pride? It doesn't say it. But this is what I thought was going to happen and it was going to be done my way. And when it didn't happen my way, he got mad and got and rode off. You see, you need to do what God tells you. You need to do in order to be healed. So what did God tell Naaman to do? Go and wash into Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman initially refused, and his pride led him to reject doing that simple task. That simple task. Go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be clean. Not too hard. But remember what God told Naaman. Naaman Naaman wanted to be healed a different way. So remember what God said. This is what Naaman said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. And then he complained that the rivers of Jordan were filthy were dirty and that there were cleaner rivers back in Damascus that he could go and be washed in. He was too proud to do the thing God's way. And his pride led him to come up with all kinds of reasons why he didn't need to do it. But yet, when he obeyed God, he was clean. He was cleansed of his leprosy. All he had to do was go down to the Jordan and dunk himself seven times in the Jordan. How hard was that? 
And when he finally did it, when he finally went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, his flesh became like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Here you have a rugged man, a warrior. And he went and he dipped and he had the skin, the flesh of a child. That's how cleansed he was. Dipping in the Jordan River, I think is an illustration for us concerning baptism into Christ. Think about this. Could Naaman have been cleansed without dipping in the Jordan River the way God had instructed? No. Could he have been cleansed if he had gone down four times or five times or six times and come up out of the water and walked away? No. Was it the water of the Jordan that cleansed Naaman of his disease? Of course not. It was God. And Him alone who brought the cleansing. When Naaman dipped in the water... It was God's way to bring about the cleansing. To see if Naaman would do this simple thing to please him. I want you to listen to what Peter says. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, And the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the, resurre by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. You see, baptism doesn't remove dirt from our body. That's not the purpose of it. Baptism is God's way for us to appeal to Him for a good conscience. And it was Naaman's pride that stood between him and healing. He was just too proud. And there are people today who are too proud to obey God. Too proud to believe in Jesus. Too proud to repent of their sins. Too proud to confess the name of Christ. And too proud to be immersed in the waters of baptism. So what's holding you back? If you're not a Christian, what's holding you back? Or if you are a Christian, have you surrendered your life to Him? What's holding you back? Oh, I still want to do what I want to do. That's what Naaman wanted. I thought he'd come out and wave his magic wand and I'd be cleansed of my leprosy. But that didn't happen, did it? And sometimes people look at baptism and say, that's not necessary. You don't need to do that. Jesus said it was necessary when He said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. To every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So Jesus said it was important. On the day of Pentecost, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. You want your sins remitted? Then you need to be buried with our Lord in baptism. You see, you're not cleansed of your sins. Just like Naaman wasn't cleansed until he went down in that water and did exactly what God told him to do. And we're not cleansed from our sin until we do exactly what God has told us to do. 
You see, it was Jesus who said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And when Ananias went to Saul, when Saul was praying, what did Ananias say to Saul? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And what? Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What takes care of our sins? That simple act of baptism. Our obedience to Christ. Our obedience to God. Doing what the Lord has told us to do. You can't be saved while you're still in your sin. We are a new creature when we come up out of that water. And that's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. We go down in that water a sinner. We come up out of that water a new creature. Because we're baptized into His death. And that's what puts us into Christ. And just like Naaman, until we do those things, we're not going to be cleansed. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, is a pride holding you back? If you need to obey the Gospel, what are you waiting on? As a Christian, you need to realize that pride can cause us to be lost also. That we need to heed what the Bible teaches us as Christians that we need to do. And I want to encourage you as a Christian, a child of God, that if you've done what He's told you to do in order to be a child of His, that you need to be faithful. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. If you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way. If you need to be baptized into Christ, we're willing to do that. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.